Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times in both our Cincinnati, Ohio, and Florence, Kentucky locations, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. Zechariah chapter 11. Many of you would know that we've been in a series, 10,000 Delight, and we've been going through the book of Nehemiah, Esther, Ezra, kind of just that time period. And alongside of Nehemiah, as he's rebuilding the walls and the temple in Jerusalem, God would send three prophets, Haggai, we talked about him a couple of weeks back, Malachi, and then Zechariah. And basically what would happen in Israel is they're coming out of Babylonian captivity. They're trying to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, specifically the temple. And over the years, they would get discouraged. They would, they would get weary and maybe distracted by the cares of life. And God would send a prophet. And the goal of the prophet was to get the people of Israel back on track, back to building uh, the temple, back to building the walls in Jerusalem. And so as we look at Zechariah, know that he was one of those prophets that God would send to get Israel back on track when they would grow weary in well-doing. Zechariah is also known to be one of the prophets that spoke very clearly about the first coming of the Messiah, the first coming of Jesus Christ. And he also had prophecies or predictions surrounding the second coming of Jesus Christ. One of the things that we're going to see in the text that we're about to read is a prophecy or a prediction about a famous scene that surrounds the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And you'll recognize it right away. It'll, it'll pop right out at you and it'll be clear what this particular prophecy is dealing with. Now, Zechariah is such a powerful prophet for many reasons, but one of those reasons is how he spoke to God's people about preparing their hearts for the coming of Christ. Now, because of this, the message is twofold. Number one, it was to Israel to get ready for the coming of Jesus, that Jesus was coming and they needed to get ready. But the second message is to us as the church to also be ready because Jesus is coming back again and we have to be ready for it. This prophecy that we're about to read happened 500 years before the birth of Christ. It's a prophecy of two shepherds. And again, it's clear that inside of this is a prophecy of Jesus. And so I want you to see what Zechariah, what God tells Zechariah to say. Verse four, it says that the Lord says, shepherd the flock that's marked for a slaughter. It goes down and it gives some, maybe some explicit detail about how barbaric the slaughter was. Verse seven, so I shepherded the flock marked for the slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staffs called one favor and I called the other union and I shepherded the flock. In one month, I got rid of three shepherds. In other words, he's cleaning house, but the flock detested me and I grew weary of them and said, I will not be your shepherd. Let the dying die and the perish perish and let those who are left to eat one another's flesh. So I took the staff called favor and I broke it. I revoked the covenant that I had made and it was revoked that day. And so the oppressed of the flock were watching me and they knew it was a word 
from the Lord. And so I said, well, if you think it's best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. The Lord said to me, throw it to the potter at the handsome price of which they valued me. A sarcastic comment. Since they value me so much, just throw that 30 pieces of silver to the the potter in the house of the Lord. This is that prediction that we see surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus that we would know is fulfilled in the life of Judas, that he would betray Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Remember, this happened 500 years before Jesus was born. And then verse 15, or then they broke, excuse me, verse 14, they broke the staff called Union uh, concerning the family bond between Judah and Israel, verse 15, and we're done. And the Lord said to me, take again the equipment of the foolish shepherd, for I'm going to raise up a shepherd over the land. Listen to it. These are the four qualities of what happens to God's people when Jesus Christ is not the Lord of that place. And can I just say, just because you're in church does not mean Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. I didn't say you're not saved. I said, just because you come in church and you said a prayer does not mean Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. Let me go one step further. Just because we call ourselves a Christian church, if you will, does not mean that Jesus Christ is the Lord of this church. This is how you know if Jesus Christ is the Lord of a church. Let's read it. Because when he's not, it says in verse 15, that I'll raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost, who will not seek the young, who will not heal the injured or the wounded and not feed the healthy. And verse 17 says that that is a worthless shepherd. So every single year before I get to the message, we have vision weekend. Next weekend, it is an important weekend for us as a church as we look back at what God has done in this past season. But it's also a time where we look forward and we say, God's not done with us. God's not finished with us. And it's the time of year where we come back up under Jesus. You're the Lord of this church. You're our good shepherd. And we, whatever we do, number one, we want to care for the lost. We want to always be a church that reaches people that are far from God and do not know Jesus Christ. Number one. Number two, we will seek the young. Notice that word. We'll seek them. We're going to do everything we can to be a church that reaches the next generation. Number three, we're going to be a church that goes and heals the wounded. Let's God use us to heal the wounded in our world. People that are wounded all around us. And we're going to ask God to use us in that way. And then number four, we're also going to feed the healthy. We're going to do what we can to build your life up. Talked about Tuesday nights. And of course, every Sunday, we believe that happens as well. But as a church next weekend, we're going to show you how those four things are once again, going to be made a priority in this place. And we're going to say, okay, God, here we are. Once again, we're coming up underneath you. You're our shepherd. Come on. Jesus is the head of the church. You're like, I thought you were our shepherd. No, no, I don't want that pressure. I don't want that pressure. Okay. I'm in this with you, right? I'm in, we're, we're all here together. Sheep. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. You're like, well, I thought you were the shepherd. Well, you can call me a shepherd if you want, but I, I would probably say I'm, I'm, uh, you know, uh, 
I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the sheep that God knows won't get off to where all the wolves are. That's all I would say. He kind of uses me. Hey, hey, Marcus, go right there. Cause we don't want the sheep are crazy. They're going to go. So we'll just cut. So will you bite them for me? Uh, you know what I would say? I'm the sheep dog. How about that? I'm a sheep dog. Stand in for me. And I want you to preach an illustrated sermon to my people. He said, so I want you to take, I want you to take a shepherding staff. I want you to take a shepherding staff and I want you to use this to talk to my people about the way I shepherd. Now, if you were a part of Israel, you would have immediately known how important the ancient shepherding staff would be. For us, we maybe aren't as aware, but this would be very important in that culture because they were nomadic. They were always on the move. So when it came to their history, their, the events that had happened, when it came to chronicling the, the various things, their genealogies and things like that, they didn't put it on paper. They couldn't put it on the walls of a cave somewhere because they were always on the move. And so they, they listed their history on the shepherding staff. And they would start with right around their birth. They would put that at the very bottom. And then throughout their life, significant events, uh, maybe great battles, great victories that they had won, any type of sorrowful event, the relatives that were married or maybe that had passed away or were born, they would put all the significant events or the history on this shepherding staff. And this is how they would pass down from generation to generation. The family history or the nation's history was through that shepherding staff. And so God said, okay, Zachariah, what I want you to do is I want you to grab the shepherding staff and I want you to begin to teach my people how I shepherd, how I go at things. And so Zachariah took the shepherding staff. Again, when God wanted to use Moses, he found him on the backside of the desert. And he said, Hey, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses said, well, how will they ever believe me? And God asked him a question. What do you have in your hand? And he said, well, all I just have is it's just this little stick, this little shepherding. It's not really much. It's an ordinary little, little shepherding staff. And God said, perfect. That's all I need you to do. I'm going to, I'm going to use that average ordinary stick that's in your hand. When you release it to me, I'm going to do something supernatural with it. And so Moses, of course, goes in and he calls Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. And when the day comes, it's the night of Passover and Israel is going to leave Egypt. And there at the Passover dinner is the lamb that had been killed. The blood is on the doorpost. And God says, okay, you're about to leave. I'm about to give you the signal that it's time to leave Egypt, but make sure you do two things. Number one, make sure you have your shoes on because you're not going to have time to put your shoes on. When I give you the signal, when it's time to move, it's time to move. And the second thing he asked them to do is to have their staff in their hand because that staff represented their history. 
It represented where they had come through, uh, come from. And so God was taking them to a new place, but he didn't want them to leave their history. He didn't want them to forget what he had brought them through, how much he had done in their life. He didn't want them to forget all the different ways that he had sovereignly worked in their life from generation to generation. Even in the time of being enslaved, God was working in their hearts and in their lives. And so he didn't want them to forget that. And so he said, I want you to take that staff with you. When Moses got to the Red Sea and there was no possible way out, God said to Moses, I want you to take that staff in your hand and I want you to hold it up. What was he saying? I want you to hold up the faithfulness of God. I want you to hold up that I've been faithful over the years. I want you to hold that up. And when you hold that up, I'll part that Red Sea for you. And this is the thing that's so amazing about God. We think that he needs some superhuman, some super spiritual. We think we need, uh, God needs some really holier than most type person that he's going to use. But all God needs is just ordinary, everyday, common, normal sticks. But when you're in his hand, he can do something supernatural with you. When God was, was designing the Ark of the Covenant. And he was going to say, these are the things I want close to my presence. These are the things I want to be real close by my side. Number one, he said, I want you to put the 10 commandments in the God box. Number two, I want you to put the manna that I provided the children of Israel there because I want my word close and I want that I'm a provider. I want that to always be a part of what happens when people come, come into my presence, that they know that my word, I value my word and that I also am a God that provides for them. But number three, he said, I want one more thing right there close to my presence. I want Aaron's rod that budded. I want that right there. I want, I want that stick close to my presence. And so that's what you and I are. We're, we're just, we're just, we're just everyday normal people, but God wants us close to him, close in his presence. He, he wants us to be reminded that you and I become something special, not because of who we are, but because of whose presence we're in. And so, so, so again, Zachariah is using the stick to, is an illi you and I don't know nothing about the stick, but, but Zachariah and Israel knew all about, they knew about David and Goliath. We, we, we hear about David and Goliath and we think, okay, he's going to face the giant. He had the, the sling and the five stones, but that's not all he took. The first thing that he took was his staff. That's what he had in one hand. Then he had the slingshot and the stones in the other. In this hand, he had his staff. In this staff was at the bottom was that he was born a son of Jesse. And then up through the staff, there's all kinds of different events that happened throughout his life. And so now he's going out onto the battlefield. He's on his way out. And he's got the staff in his hand and, and his fingers are running across all the events, kind of like reading Braille. And he comes across this little moment where he, he took out the bear that tried to, tried to kill him. And he, he's remembering that his confidence starts to grow. And then he, his fingers run across the moment that he had to go and take that little lamb out of the jaws of the lion. And then he grabbed that lion by the whiskers and he slew the lion. He's remembering that. And then his hand starts to run across all the Psalms and the beautiful Psalms, songs of inspiration. And all of a sudden the giant's shadow hits David and he runs across Psalms chapter 23, right? For the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leadeth me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Then what does it say? He, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for thou art with me. How did he know that God was with him? For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Woo! <laughs> 
So what we see is that Zechariah is reaching all the way back into Israel's history. And he's saying, hey, if we're going to be God's people, we got to let the history of God's faithfulness how he's been in covenant with us over the years. He's been in covenant with us as a people. He's made us a great nation. And we cannot forget that as God's people. We cannot forget that that is a resource to us. And then the Bible says something interesting. It says that he takes the staff and he names them. The first staff he names favor. He takes the staff and just ordinary staff, but in his hand, he gives it a name. It's called favor. Why don't you look at your neighbor real quick and say, I'm God's favorite. Come on, let him know. Say, I'm God's favorite. He sort of likes you, but he really likes me. Let him know that. Especially if you're sitting next to your spouse, let them know that. Just let them know. If you start messing with me, I'm his favorite. Favor is a tremendous word. It means to be in an advantaged place. It means God likes to do things for you. The Webster's dictionary says favor means to lean toward, to incline toward. This is my favorite part to pull the strings for when God's favor is on your life. It means he's pulling the strings for you. And one of the things that the Bible teaches us about favor is that you can grow in favor. It's not like God gives a little bit the same to everybody. No, there are people that know how to grow in the favor of God on their life. There are some people that they don't know how to grow in favor. As a matter of fact, they do the opposite. They, the favor of God will lift off of their life because it's not that God doesn't love them. I'm saying the favor of God, that God's not pulling the strings for them in the same way. Let's always remember that God is paternal. Can we do that? The, the way God's introduced to us as, is as a father. So every parent in here would understand that you love all your children the same, right? But there are times when one child begins to be favored. What do I mean by favored? You like doing things for them more. Why do you like doing things for them more? Because of their attitude, the way they think, the way they're going. This, this child's irresponsible. So it's just harder to pull the strings for that child because you, you need them to learn, right? That's why, that's why you pull out the belt or that's why you give them a timeout or that's why you yell at them or that's why you say, no, we're not going through Chick-fil-A today. That, why? Because they're doing something you don't like. You don't favor the wrong behaviors. You don't love them any less. Oh, I don't like that part about God. Well, God wants us to know you can grow in favor. You can grow in it. The Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and favor with God and with man. So you can grow in the favor of God every single night before I go to bed, every single morning I wake up when I spend time with the Lord, I say, God, I thank you for favor. I need favor. I want favor on our church. I need favor. I need favor on my life. I know enough about me that on my own, I'm not very much, but if he'll name me with his favor, come on, if he'll, I'm just an ordinary stick on my own. I know my history. I haven't forgot where God's brought me from. I haven't forgotten what, what life he's brought me out of, but I also 
have a tendency to know that if God's favor is on your life, that means there's something special about you because God is pulling the strings for you and it has less to do with you and it has more to do with the one who's got you in his hand. See, favor isn't just God just trying to, to give you a bunch of pie in the sky stuff. Favor is about protection. The favor of God can protect you. It can protect your family. The Bible says in the book of Esther that Haman is plotting to kill the Jewish people. And this plot is so bloodthirsty that he makes a pole that's 65 foot tall. And his plan is I'm going to hang Haman or Haman's going to hang Mordecai, Esther's uncle that had raised her on this pole. And so he makes the poll and it's there and the statements are made. He's manipulating things behind the scenes to get the king to endorse this, this slaughter of God's people. And Esther catches wind of it. And so she goes into the court where the king would see her. And she knows what happened to the last king that, or queen that kind of pushed back or disrespected the king in any way. He got rid of her. And so Esther's there in the court. She's shaking in her boots. She's worried. She's nervous. What's the king going to think? Is he going to give me access? Is he going to listen to what I have to say? But she's there and she's in the court waiting to see the king. And the Bible says the king comes out and two in verse 17 says the moment that the king saw her, she obtained favor five times in the book of Esther. It says she obtained favor with the king. And at the end of her conversation, because of the favor of God, you know what ended up happening? The plot of Haman was exposed. It was revealed what he was doing. And the king issued an order to protect the Jewish people, to protect Mordecai. And a disaster for God's people was averted because of the favor of God on Esther's life. And the Bible goes on to say that same pole that Haman had designed to kill Mordecai with it. The Bible says that Haman ended up hanging on his own pole, ended up dying by his own pole. And this is the whole point of that, that favor is something that when it's on your life, people get a little bit more careful when they start coming against somebody that God's favor on. I'm not trying to say, I'm just trying to say, listen, God wants you to be favored. He wants you to walk in divine favor. Psalm chapter five and verse 12 says you're surrounded with favor like a shield it means it protects you. That's why you've got to say, God, I'm walking in favor. The angel told Mary, you are blessed and highly favored of the Lord. You've got to walk in the confidence that God has named. You're nothing special. You're just an ordinary. I'm talking about, this is an illustrated sermon. Zachariah is preaching. He's reminding the people of God, God has has put the name of favor on you. You've got to speak divine favor over your life. You've got to speak the favor of God over your family, over your children, over your finances, over your job, over your career, over your dream, over the house that you worship in. You got to say, we walk in divine favor. We need the favor of God on your house. We need the favor of God on the vision. We need the favor of God on what we do. And you got to speak the favor of God. And when you're in his hand, when we're in his hand, we have his favor in Jesus name. And then the Bible says that God decides he wants to name the other stick. 
He wants to name the other staff. And so he goes and he grabs the second one. And the Bible says he names this one union. Unity. He's reminding God's people that, that they're people of unity. They're people that are who they are because of the covenant of union that God's made with us, that we're one with him and that we're to be one with one another. Something powerful about union that the Bible teaches. Psalms 133 says how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that's poured on the head of Aaron. It runs down his beard, down his garments. And the, the point of the scripture is this, that the anointing is attracted to unity. And the Bible says that God commands his blessing on people that are unified. When we come together, there's something special about it. There's something powerful about unity. You see, Jesus prayed in John 17, the final prayer he would pray. He prayed five times in one prayer, make them one, make them one, make them one. He said, God, as you and I are one, my father, as you and I are one, God, make them one because Jesus understood how powerful it is when people understand that he names us. He don't name us division. He don't name us strife. He don't name us, uh, uh, we got my opinion and that's just what I think and that's just how we're gonna do it and that's just, just you, you just don't understand. Well, I think the Bible says this and I think the Bible says that and I, 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 he doesn't name us that. We, we don't fight, we don't, we don't kick, we don't scream, we don't throw temper tantrums. We, we, don't, we don't, no, we're union people, we're union, we're together, we pull together, we're unified, we're, we're, we, we, we don't pull apart. We, we don't rip apart. We, 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 we don't, we're not trying to tear this way and tear that way. No, we're people of unity because, because the devil understands if he can divide us, he can conquer us. Doing everything he can to pull God's people apart. But he names us union. He names us unity. He wants us to be one as him and the father are one. He pulls us together. See, the Bible teaches in the book of Acts that the disciples and the 120 are in the upper room, 120 of them. And it says that they are in one place, one mind and one accord, one place, one mind and one accord. The Holy Spirit is poured out. The mighty rushing wind hits that room and the New Testament church is born. I want you to notice that what's behind the New Testament church being born was unity. Wasn't how powerful Simon Peter preached. It wasn't how great John the beloved loved. It wasn't even that Jesus Christ died on the cross. It wasn't even that he was raised from the dead because if you follow Jesus, he's the one who said, I'm going to the father but I'm going to send the promise of the father, but you have to go wait and tarry. You have to pull together in unity. And when you do that, then the Holy Spirit's going to show up. So notice, notice real quick, the Holy Spirit showed up on 120 ordinary, nothing sticks, not because Jesus died, not because Jesus was ro rose again. 
but because they pulled together around Jesus dying on a cross, because they pulled together around Jesus rose again from the dead, because they pulled together around all of that, the Holy Spirit was poured out on 120 ordinary sticks that went out to change the world and to change history because they know what God pulls together. When God brings us together, we're to be people of unity. We're to stay together. We're stronger together. And the Bible says that the people there in Israel are being shepherded in this way. And as they're being shepherded, they start to despise sermons like this. They don't like messages on unity, right? They don't like that it's not a one-man show, their show. They don't like sermons. It's about we, not me. They don't like that stuff. They don't like hearing about that. They don't like hearing sermons about even the devil knows that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. They don't like that stuff. Don't talk to me about that stuff. Everything's more important in their life than the unity of God's people. They don't like it. So the Bible says the sheep in the story we read, the prophecy we read, it says they detested Zechariah. Really, they were detesting the way God shepherds. And so the Bible says God does something interesting. He takes the first staff called union and he breaks it. Somebody asked me if I got up here with a loaded bat. The answer is yes. <laughs> Means they helped me out. They put a little cut in there. If you can see that, <laughs> just giving you my secrets. Then he took this. This is his illustrated sermon. It's not my sermon. This is God trying to get the attention of sheep that are being led to the slaughter. There's a barbaric slaughter happening and they're consumed with themselves. And Zechariah is standing in as the good shepherd. He's saying, listen, God wants to give you favor and God wants you to be together in union, union with me, union with one another, union with your families. If God puts union on you, when you call on the name of God, your marriage is to stay unified. You're to stay unified with those babies and those kids and we're to stay unified as God's people. But they didn't like that sermon. They didn't like it. So then it says that favor was broken. And the crazy thing, the crazy thing is that the Bible tells us why. It says that when it came to the value they put on the good shepherd, they gave him 30 pieces of silver. That's what it says. 30 pieces of silver, which was an insult in Hebrew culture. It was an insult because Leviticus says that if your slave is gored by a bull, you're to pay. The person is to pay you whose bull gored your slave. They're to pay you 30 pieces of silver. So whenever you read about 30 pieces of silver, this is considered a insulting payment. 
it's basically saying when something is worth nothing, it's a, it's a figure of speech. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a throwaway uh, amount. It is, it's your way of saying something's worthless, meaningless. It's nothing. 30 pieces of silver. And so the Bible says favor is broken and union is broken. And it says, because they did not value the shepherd. Of course, we would know this prophecy is fulfilled in the life of Judas. We see it in his life. Last week, we talked about Tobiah and how Tobiah wanted to see God's people cursed and how really Tobiah was a person, but he represented a spirit. And Nehemiah 13 says that it goes all the way back to when the children of Israel were about to go into Canaan and how the Ammonites and the Moabites had hired Balaam to curse God's people. And the Bible says that Balaam concluded, you cannot curse what God had blessed, but that spirit of wanting God's people cursed stayed within the earth and from generation to generation, it would show up. It showed up in Tobiah in Nehemiah's time. And the Bible said that he moved into the storehouse in the temple. The storehouse is where the tithes and the offerings were kept. He moved in there and the tithes and the offerings were moved out. And then you begin to see God's people return to behaviors that brought a curse on them in the first place. And that's why they were in Babylon. But now they've come back out of Babylon. God has restored the temple. He's restored his people with favor. He's brought them back together. But Tobiah has moved into the temple and they've moved the tithes and the offerings out. When Nehemiah hears it, the first thing that he does is he evicts Tobiah. He gets rid of Tobiah because he understands if a spirit wants God's people cursed, it moves into the storeroom. It moves into the places of our life. God says is his. It moves into the places of our life. God says, I want ownership. I want lordship. I, that's the place I want to. But when, but when Tobiah moves in, generosity moves out. So we begin to talk about that last week. The reason I'm saying this is because we see this same idea show up in the life of Judas. Judas is struggling with the same thing that generations have struggled with. Let's look at it. Remember, Mary breaks open the alabaster box of expensive perfume. Remember that. And it's a form of extravagant worship. Her tears and her hair washing the feet of Christ. And Judas has a problem with it. He says what this woman has done and is doing is waste. It's waste. You see, Judas doesn't have a problem that she did something. He has a problem that she's giving everything. See, Tobiah, Judas, it's all the same type of mindset. It's a type of mindset that says, ah, just give Jesus partial commitment, partial commitment, you know, going all in with the things of God that, that in, in, in Judas's mind, that's waste. But Jesus called it, called it worship. See, worship is when you say, Jesus, I surrender it all to you, everything. 
There's no partial commitment. There's no, there's no, I'm going to give you some. It's all, everything I am is yours. Everything about me, my mind, my heart, my time, my life, my gifts, my talents, all of it, all of it. It's all yours. Everything I have is yours. And the joy in the Christian walk is only realized when it's complete and total surrender. But Judah says, nah, that's waste. That's waste. Giving is waste. That tithe thing is waste. It's waste, but it's God trying to bring favor on you. And it's God trying to bring you back together. And the enemy's trying to pull God's people apart. And he's trying to bring a curse on God's people. And he's trying to keep us out of the promised land that God's called us to. The last supper, Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And the disciples are saying, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? And then it gets to Judas and he says, Master, is it I? All the other apostles said, Lord, is it I? But Judas said, Master, which in the Hebrew means teacher or rabbi, is it I? All the other apostles called Jesus Lord. Judas called him teacher. Jesus was teacher. He wasn't Lord. I like some things that Jesus says. Some, I don't like some things. I like some good principles. I like some good points. I'm here to check the religious box. I'm here. I'm here. I'm just kind of, you know, he's teacher, but he's not Lord. And the Bible says that attitude led to him betraying Christ for 30 pieces of silver, which was just really him coming up under serving the worthless shepherd of this world. It's just him saying, you know what? This is more important and that's more important. And this is of greater value and that's of greater value. But, but the good shepherd was of no value to him. And so what happens to the life of Judas? Favor was broken. Union between him and Christ, union between him and the other apostles, broken. Ultimately, his life was broken. Ultimately, we know that he goes out and he ends up committing suicide in the potter's field. But I love the fact that even though you see this horrific picture, when Ju even to the point, think about this, Judas is kissing Jesus. The soldiers are there. Jesus is about to be arrested. And Jesus whispers in the ear of Judas, friend. Jesus never gave up on Judas. Judas never, Jesus never turned his back on Judas. Jesus never said, I'm done with you. He never did. Judas gave up on himself, but Jesus never gave up on Judah, which teaches us as long as God won't give up on you, you don't give up on you. He's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. The thing I love the most about Jesus is he died for broken sticks. When God wanted to redeem the world, he sent his son to die on two sticks. We call it a cross, but he sent his son to die on those two sticks for your sin and for mine, for our brokenness. And a lot of people think of the cross and they think it's a negative sign. They think it's negative. It's a subtraction thing from their life. But the cross is a plus sign. All 
that the cross will ever do is add to your life. The cross will only add to you. The cross is never a minus sign. It's always a plus sign. Oh no, it's going to take this. It's going to take that. It's going to cost me this. It's going to no. the cross. This is why Jesus said, I came to give you life and I came to give you life more abundantly because the cross is here to add the favor of God to your life. The cross is here to add union and unity with the father and unity with God's people. The cross is always adding. If you're here today, and you're like, Marcus, I, 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 I feel broken. I feel broken in, in my life. I feel broken in my home. I feel broken with my family. I feel broken in my marriage. I feel broken with God's people. I feel like my life is just, is just broken. Well, the most wonderful thing you can hear is that Jesus died for broken sticks. He died for broken people that he can restore favor in your life. He can restore union in your life. Let me, let me say it like this. This is how powerful our good shepherd is. Amos says it like this. Amos says that a lion grabbed a sheep and he runs off with the sheep. The shepherd chases the lion. When he finds him, all that's left in the lion's mouth is a leg bone and an ear. That's all that's left. And the Bible says the shepherd, this good shepherd goes to rescue the ear and the leg from the lion's mouth. Now, if I'm the shepherd and the lion gets you, and by the time I catch up, all that's left is a leg bone and an ear. And I got to decide whether I'm going to put my life in harm's way for a leg and an ear. Too bad for you. Too bad for you. Sorry about it. My heart's broken. I feel bad about it, but I'm getting back to the rest of them. That are, we got some other stuff to do. And let's just be honest. That's all of us. All of us, when we see something too broken, too devoured, too far gone, we just kind of give up on it. But if all that's left is an ear and a leg, the good shepherd doesn't give up. If you found your way to church today and you have an ear to hear what the Lord is saying, you might, your life might be a wreck online in Anderson and your, your life might be a mess, but do you have, all you got to do is have an ear. You don't have to have much. All you have to do is have a leg. Somehow you got up and got here. Of all you do is have an ear to hear and a leg to hobble on. Can I help you out? God sees what he has to have so you can be redeemable, so he can put you back together again, so he can restore you. He's not giving up on you and I as long as we can have an ear to hear and a leg to stand on. Because it's what Jesus came for. He didn't come. He didn't come expecting us to be all together. He came to pick up the broken sticks and restore us once again. And say, listen, haven't you served the worthless shepherd long enough? Haven't, haven't you served the world system long enough? Haven't you allowed the world to tell you how to think of God and think of yourself and think of the church long enough? Haven't you allowed that, that spirit of this world 
If you'll let him shepherd you, he'll give you his favor. His favor is like a shield. Come on. I love the last thing that Jesus or the first thing that Jesus preached and the last verse that he read, it says that he was anointed to preach the gospel, right? That the spirit of the Lord was upon him to anoint to preach the gospel, to, to bring deliverance to the captives, to give sight to the blind. But the last thing it says is to proclaim the years, the year of the Lord's favor. Then he closed the book. One of the first things Jesus ever did was he proclaimed favor over God's people. And we're going to do that today. We're going to proclaim favor over your life. We're going to proclaim union over your family, your home, your marriage, your children. We're going to pray union over God's house. Come on. I love one of my favorite things to pray over this house and over my family is keep the wrong people out, bring the right people in. You say, what's the wrong people? The wrong people are people that aren't people of unity. You don't, you don't want to be a unified people. Well, we love you. We, we're for you. But you want to create all kinds of strife and division. You say, was that happening? To my knowledge, there's not one cent of that in this house. But I love to say, God, protect us. I know, I know what anybody ever seen division in a church. Have you ever seen that? No, 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 no. We got to pray. God, keep the wrong, not evil people, just not people. It's just, we just pray for union, pray for unity, pray, pray right now that, that that bothers you, that we want it to bother you, bother you like it bothered the people that Zachariah was preaching to. We don't want union broken. We don't want favor broken. We need to be in his hand and we need him to name us favor and to name us union. Come on. We need 10,000 to go to light. And where one can put a thousand, two can put 10,000. And the more unity we have, the more powerful we can be together as God's people. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages, and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv slash dbpm. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast.